She's a best-selling author and life coach, obsessed with helping women to silence their insecurities, build healthy boundaries, and fearlessly pursue the life and career of their dreams. Join her as she provides you with strategies and real-life tips to create your best life. Welcome to Fearless Fridays with Marianne. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Fearless Fridays with Marianne. Today, I have an amazing guest with me, and I am going to just jump right in, let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about herself. Hello, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for being here. So let's just jump right in. Who, you know, your name and who are you? Yeah, yeah. I'm Ashley Cross. Um, I live in Rochester, New York. I pastor at Glory House International with my husband. I'm also the executive director of the Hub 585. Uh, and I'm the owner of Impact Hope, um, which we focus on um, studying the science of hope and working with professionals to increase the hope of the population that they serve. I'm also I'm also a mother. I'm also a mother. I have three beautiful <laughs> daughters um, that I spend a lot of my time with. Those are my hearts. Um, the mother of Jordan, uh, my 25 year old, Harper, my four year old and Madison Ray, my one year old. 25 to three-year-old, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, all over the place, right? <laughs> that definitely keeps you busy. Yes, very much so. Busy and, busy and well alive. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So you are involved in a lot of things, you know, yeah. in addition to being a wife, to being a mother, to being a pastor. So how do you find balance? What does that look like for you? And, you know, what doesn't get neglected for the sake of, you know, another area. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's funny. You mentioned balance. Um, I actually, uh, you know, kind of dispelled the myth that balance is even uh, obtainable probably about a year and a half ago. Um, I spent probably three years so frustrated because I was trying to balance my life and I would go to bed every night feeling like something was compromised. You know, I feel like I, I still have so much to do. I didn't spend enough enough time with my husband. I didn't finish some of those goals that I really wanted to to those tasks that I wanted to achieve that day for work. I didn't work out. I didn't eat right. Like all of these different things that I'm trying to juggle. And I realized there's no such thing as balance. There's no way that every single day I can give everything the same amount of time and the same amount of energy. Right. So mm -hmm. even if I could balance my life in terms of timing, yeah. I can't give that much energy. We only have so much mental energy every day. And so what I've decided to do is I pursue a rhythm. I found my rhythm mm -hmm. for life. It works for me. It feels good. I go to bed at night knowing that I got the most important things done. Um, and so what that what, what I had to do was I had to do a deep dive into really my values. Yeah. Right. What, what do I value? What are the non-negotiables? Every day when I wake up, what are the things that these are things that I have to do, whether it's because it's important for my career accomplishments or it's important to continue to grow and nourish my the most important relationships in my life. Um, and so I actually I ascribe to uh, the full focus planner, which is for high capacity uh, individuals. And it really helps for you to win at work and succeed in life. And I, I realized I don't have to compromise the time I spend with my family or my husband to be wildly successful in my career. And I don't have to, you know, neglect my career to spend time with my family. I can do both. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So you spoke about values. How does, the, how does someone start doing the work in figuring out what their values are? 
yeah, sometimes we don't even realize that we hold a value or that there are certain things that we could value. So one of the things I do is I actually bought a deck of value cards. It's like 150 words and I spread them all out and it starts off overwhelming, but it's such a fun process because you get to know yourself and you get to walk away saying, hey, these are the no more than five, three to five. These are the three to five things that every single decision that I make for the rest of my life, it has to reflect my values. Mm. And so that's how I decide what projects I take on. That's how I decide um, how I spend my money, how I spend my time. Um, everything has to go back to my values. And so I, I did it um, individually. And then my husband and I, we did it together. We decided our values for our family. And it's tedious because, like I said, you start off with 150 words right. and you yeah. choose 20 that really stick out to you. And then you, you, you know, take those 20 to 10. And then from 10, you go to three to five and you say, these are the things that we're really going to anchor our life in. Mm. So you mentioned doing it together with your, you know, your husband. What if you don't agree? How do how do you negotiate that? You know, what's the process like? Yeah, yeah. There were a few times we were like, okay, we only get five mail. Like you, you got this one, and I agree, right? Like, because these are things that you know, even before we got married, we knew that we we shared similar values. But when you're really talking about like raising children, and these are the things that we really want to focus on, there were times where he was like, you know, generational wealth, and I'm like, okay, well, no generosity. And I already knew like faith was number one. Like we both yeah. agreed on that. Number one, it was faith. So we didn't even have to, you know, have a conversation around that. But then it was like, well, I want to teach our children to be very generous. And he's like, yeah, but we need generational wealth. Like we have to make decisions that yeah. make them wealthy so they have money to get. And so in that, we were realizing that some of these values, we were saying the same thing with different vocabulary. Mm. Right. And so, you know, from that, then we were able to to negotiate, bring some down, throw some out, knowing that, hey, a part of actually a part of our faith is generosity. So do we have to have generosity as a value, knowing that our faith values generosity? Mm. So we were able to throw out generosity because a part of our Christian faith is to live a life of generosity. Um, so it, it was a fun process. Yeah. We were like, oh, man, how are we going to do it? But it really helped us. It really helped us. That's awesome. And it's interesting because I remember getting some cards from Roberts when I got my undergraduate degree mm -hmm. and it's, it was something similar, like you know, about values and things like that. And I actually think I have them up there. I have to, you know, yeah. read them and go through them again. That's you know interesting. So in regards to your faith, mm -hmm. how important is your faith in your life? And have you always been a woman of faith? Yeah. So my faith is priority. Everything that I do, everything that um, I, well, I try. Everything that I, I do, I try to anchor that from a place of what I believe, what my faith is. Um, I have, I grew up in a household where my mother was a woman of faith. My father, not, not necessarily. Um, and so I've I've been exposed to kind of both sides. I think as a, you know, in high school, I kind of explored kind of like who is Ashley? What do I what do, what do I really hold to be mine? Right. Um, but as I grew up, there were certain things that my mom's faith and my grandparents' faith it couldn't walk me through. I had to I had to really develop um, my own faith in a relationship with Jesus on my own. 
and so, you know, my my faith, my relationship with God, um, my belief system, my world value, my, my Christian worldview, um, it really anchors everything that I do. I try, like I said, there are times that I'm like, I don't think that that decision was a good reflection of what I believe, or I don't, you know, believe that what I just said was a good reflection of what I believe. But I try to live that out um, daily. That's beautiful. So for a person who may be struggling with their faith, you know, they're not sure what they believe in or they could have been a Christian and, you know, walked away. But there's still that's still that inner burning, you know, within them that something is missing. You know, how do they do the work to get back to who they truly are and what they really believe in? Yeah, I I love that question. Um, Someone just asked me something similar the other day. What do you say to people who don't want to come back to church or maybe are kind of burnt? I I always say you start off with identifying your pain points, right? Mm. So what are are the things that are preventing you, one, from having an intimate individual relationship with God, and two, from then connecting to a larger body of believers who can help aid you in growing in your faith? There are pain points that we've all experienced, right? I, I just said to someone yesterday, the church becomes an imperfect person the moment I walk in it. You know, mm. the church is an imperfect place the moment I walk in. The moment yeah. any of us walk in, we completely ruin it. It's no longer yeah. it's no longer a perfect place, right? Because yeah. we're human. And so it's figuring out what are those pain points? What are those negative experiences that I've had? And what do I need? What 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 do I need to look for in a church that can grow me or a body of believers that can yeah. grow me? Um, but I think that I, I, you know, the Bible tells us to to work out our faith. Right. And I, I always tell people I'm not one of those Christians that have a problem with people questioning God, questioning their faith, going yeah. into moments of disbelief and really figuring out, do I really believe do I believe this? And if so, why and how? Mm. Um, Because I think that on the other end of that is more of a resolve. It's more of a a conviction, right? I can say that I know what I believe because I've wrestled with it, right? Maybe it started off as my grandmother's faith and my mother's faith, but but at some point it had to become Ashley's faith. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. So I read a post that you made about shadows and identifying those. What is that all about? Man, so I am reading, uh, there's a a book that probably for the last five years, I've decided I want to read every year. And it's called The Emotionally Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. So this year, I took it a step further. He has a series of books, Peter uh, Scazzaro, and he has The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And so this is the first book that I'm reading this year is The Emotionally Healthy Leader. Um, Why? Because I don't believe that it's just enough to have faith in God without knowing who you are. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's we, we have faith in God, but it leads us in a journey of yeah. growing emotionally. And sometimes you have, um, you know, certain faiths that really don't believe in in cultivating your emotional and mental health. And I, I think that it is it's so important. Um, and so in this book, early in the chapter, like three or four, he talks about your shadows. And these are things that you do to avoid being vulnerable or feeling exposed. We all have them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I took some time earlier this week, uh, the end of the evening, I'm laying in bed, I'm journaling and I just start journaling my, my shadows. And it sucks because for, you have to be honest, like, right. you have, like you, I can't lie to myself in my journal. So I start writing some stuff down. I'm like, man, I can I can be this and I can do this. And sometimes if I feel uncomfortable, I can cut people off quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. And I and I start to realize what those shadows are. Um, and then I spent the next morning uh, giving those shadows over to God and saying, hey, these are the things that I do because I feel like I have to protect myself or I feel uh, unsafe or I don't want to be vulnerable. 
But I realized that if all else fails, there's one person, one place that I can always be vulnerable. And that's with God. Yeah. Um, and that starts off with me building my trust in sometimes my surroundings and being able to, to be vulnerable. Um, right. And like, a, like what I'm doing now, like this takes yeah. a level of vulnerability, right? True. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I sit down and just kind of map out those shadows and, and give them to God. Is there a process to work through them or do you just give them to God and you've no. identified them, you give them to him and you move on? Yeah, no, it's it's always a process, mm. right? I mean, hardly ever do you just put something in God's right. hands without him putting it back and saying, okay, I'm doing my part now. Let's, well, let's work together to work this out, right? Mm. Um, you know, identifying your shadows and working through them could be a combination of things. It could be a combination of devotionals and prayers and finding a good, trustworthy community and maybe having a, a therapist, going to counseling, um, talking to people who have hurt you and offended you in your life, you know, um, maybe restoring those and going back and getting answers when it's safe to do so. Um, right. For me, it took me looking back. Uh, he in, in the in the book he has you do a genogram, and so it's like, well, who are my who are my relatives and what are their shadows? What have I noticed growing up about my father, or how did I feel growing up in my household that made me feel as if cutting people off was always the best answer? It's always the safest answer, yeah. you know? And so you start to really look at yourself and your upbringing and get answers as to why you do what you do so that you have language for it, but you can start to walk those out. Mm, I love that. I love that. That's definitely a book that I'm going to be picking up. <laughs> it's amazing. You're going to love it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So um, Voices of Hope. So you have a podcast coming out. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, as I stated earlier, I'm the executive director of the HUP 585, right? And so our mission is to educate, enrich, and empower youth um, youth and families uh, through programs and partnerships that give them hope and help them thrive. And so one of the things that we're doing this year is we've launched the Voices of Hope Young Authors Program. And this I'm so excited about this. We're turning 15 young people into published authors. Ooh. And many of those young people are children that are in the foster care system. Um, and so for me, it's so important for youth, um, definitely youth who have experienced traumatic experiences to to have agency over their life. Right. To, to have a voice, to feel like their voice matters. Um, and so one of the ways that we're doing that is through the Voices of Hope Young Authors Program. But I said, hey, it, it shouldn't stop there. Let's launch a podcast and tell stories of, of resilience and strength and hope. Um, on a broader scale. And so the Voices of Hope podcast will feature some of our young authors, right? So they'll tell their stories and promote their books. Um, but I'm also going to be inviting in people from um, nationally uh, that who have maybe experienced, um, been in foster care, worked with children in foster care, um, experienced traumatic life experiences that they had to bounce back. I think there's something so redemptive in storytelling. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we'll be telling stories of people who have experienced low lows, um, but found hope in the midst of, of um, you know, despair and, 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 and hopelessness. Um, yeah. So I'm so excited about it. We're going to have I've already gotten kind of the first quarter mapped out in terms of who some of our podcast guests are going to be. Um, and they're phenomenal. They're phenomenal. Very powerful stories that I think are going to help us yeah. um, spread the message of hope. Mm, that just touched me because you probably don't know this about me, but I was in the juvenile uh, system for about two and a half years. I was in um, San Joseph's Villa, North Haven. I ran away from San Joseph's Villa and was gone for like three months. Ended up in Tryon, which is where I 
finished and aged out. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think there, there are so many people that I'll have conversation with and they'll say, I spent time in, in the system. And I'm like, you guys are so resilient, such as, I mean, it's so amazing to see someone that you would, you would never be able to tell that that was a part of their history. Right. Because somewhere in their story, they found hope. They hung on to it and they decided like, hey, my life can be better and I, I have the power to make it better. Um, and that's really the message of hope is, is do can we help people really believe that their future can be better than their past? Um, but it doesn't stop there. It, it's you have the power to make it better. Right. Like you're not just a victim to world circumstances and crises and things that happen. There's actually some agency in you that will allow for you to 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 um to thrive past what you've experienced. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it just takes one person believing in you because yeah. I know for me, it was, I call her my juvie probation officer, but I don't really know what she was caseworker when I was released from Tryon and she spoke to me like no adult had ever spoken to me. And to this day, I give her credit because I believe that it wasn't because of the words that she spoke into my life. God only knows where, you know, how my life would have you know turned out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I did, um, I did my dissertation on how hope is impacted through the lived experience of foster care. Mm. And I studied 30 boys that are in foster care. I interviewed uh, eight of them. And that was one of, that was the common yeah. factor. The common theme was my high hope boys were able to name someone mm-hmm. that they could go to in their moments of failure, their yeah. moments of perceived failure. It's perceived, right. you know, we never really just fail unless we just yeah. stop. It's perceived. Um, and so that was it. They were able to mm-hmm. say, Hey, if I feel down, I can call this person right. and they're going to help me. It's yeah. so important for, for you to have just that one champion. Yeah. And I remember when I was in Tryon, I got my GED when I was there yeah. and when, uh, when I got released, I ended up going to our EOC and I got a certificate in general office skills and this individual, she was the only person that came to my graduation. You know, I contacted her. I was like, look what I did. Look what I'm doing. And she was like, I'll be there for you. Yeah. And she was the only person that was there. So, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. beautiful. That's beautiful work. So the Hope Center. So what's the Hope Center about? Yeah. So the Hope Center is a collaborative effort under the Hub 585. So mm-hmm. uh, one of my core values in life is collaboration. It's unity. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't believe that there's anything so amazing that any one person can do. Um, you always need the gifts, the talents, the 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 perspective um, of other people around you. Right. And so the Hub 585, um, my husband and I, we um, our church purchased a, a large building downtown for our church um, probably about eight months ago. And one of the first conversations that we had was how can we use this building to glorify God? How can we use this building to serve our community on a larger scale? And so what we did was we turned the third uh, floor of that building into the Hope Center, uh, which is a collaboration of family and youth serving agencies uh, working together to maximize our impact. Uh, So on that floor, we have another nonprofit that does an after school program. Um, So kids come in and learn videography, shoe design, sneaker design, graphic design. I mean, they're in there just creating um, every 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 evening. Um, then you have obviously the Hub 585. We have our space there. Um, we have another agency that supervise, 
supervises visits with parents who have lost their children to child welfare. So mm. every week we have families that are working on reunification as their goal, yeah. coming into the Hope Center mm. and using that as a place to connect instead of having to do those visits at the county building, which is yeah. just not warm. Nobody right. wants to children in a county building. Mm -hmm. Come to the Hope Center. Um, we have a mental health professional that takes Medicaid options and can meet with anybody. Um, so if we have a young person or a family down the hall that's having a challenge, um, we have a mental health professional on the floor. And then we're working with a few other agencies. We just partner with an agency here in Rochester um, who's a part of the Hope Center that does Christ, a crisis nursery. She serves oh, 75 wow. children or 75 families per week. Um, and these are families, these are moms who might be um, experiencing some postpartum depression and mm -hmm. just like, hey, I need somebody to come get this baby. Like, I don't want to do anything. I just, yeah. I don't, I don't want to make it important for somebody come and help me. She'll go get their mm -hmm. baby and bring it to the Hope Center um, and just be with the child so the mother can, can relax. She'll take mothers to the hospital for mental mm -hmm. hygiene, you know, or like so that they can get the help that they need mm -hmm. so they can come back and be you know, um, stable for their children. So that's just a beautiful mission. So we've just developed this collaborative effort where there's no competition. Um, we're just working together to, to serve children and families uh, with dignity and, and a whole lot of love and care. Mm, that is so beautiful. I love that. So why are youth, you know, the foster care system so important to you? Yeah. So um, I'm actually a biological child to foster parents. So I grew up with foster siblings pretty much all my life. Um, but that even predates before then, because my grandmother was the first foster parent in our family. Um, she started the first uh, black owned child placement agency in Denver. And that was actually kind of my first job. I was her receptionist um, when I was probably <laughs> about eight or nine years old. <laughs> And telling my grandmother someone was on the phone. So I always shadowed my grandmother. I was always at the agency and there were always families coming in. And I was watching my grandmother um, love on children in foster care. Um, so I grew up with foster aunts and uncles and then foster siblings. Um, and so when I was in college, I was actually like, I don't want to really be a foster parent or do anything with foster children <laughs> because it was almost just like that was a part of my life. Um, and the Lord really spoke to me. It was like, I want you to do this. I want you to do it from a place of this being a ministry. Um, and so it, they're, they're still near and dear to my heart because again, all of my aunts and uncles have done foster care. My parents have done it. My father still does it to this day. Um, and, and my grandparents kind of made this is, it's, it's almost a family value, you know, yeah. for, for us. It's, it's almost like, this is what we do. We take in children and families that, that need mm -hmm. help. Yeah. And that's so beautiful because there's so many people that sometimes feel like if I can just get one hand, yeah. you know, to help me come up, yeah. I just need this little bit of hope to be able to, you know, move forward. So that's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. So you also made a post about smart goals versus smarter goals. Yeah. And I know all about the smart method. Um, so what's the smarter method? Yeah, so the Smarter Method is actually, um, it was uh, developed by Michael Hyatt, who is the developer of the Full Focus Planner that I mentioned earlier. Okay. Um, so I actually just recently completed my certification to be a Full Focus Planner Pro um, because it's really it's really an instrument that literally, I know people are like, how can a planner really be that important to yeah. you? But it's not the planner, it's the system, right? Mm. And so if I know that I can write my goals in a way to where I'm going to achieve them, but they don't they don't overwhelm me, in a way to where all I'm thinking about is goal achievement and I'm not yeah. spending time, I'm not taking time away for a sabbatical or vacations because 
my career is the only thing that matters. It helps to create that rhythm. And so the smarter goal method is, is very similar to the smart goals, but it's kind of cool because the S is for specific, the M is for measurable, the A is for action oriented, the R, it's not for realistic, it's for risky. We should mm. not be setting realistic goals, we should be setting risky goals, right? Mm, and so there's a okay. difference between risky goals and then just, you know, being delusional, like which yeah. is overly optimistic, where it's like, now that we know that's not, but your goals should be risky. Right. We shouldn't be setting goals like I want to increase my my revenue by, you know, five percent this year. No, twenty five percent. It's risky. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's those risky goals. Okay. The T is for time bound. Um, mm-hmm. The E. So the E and the R making them smarter. The E is for exciting. We should not be setting goals that don't excite us. Mm. This should be. You know, I, I asked someone the other day, she was yeah. setting her goal. I said, is that exciting to you? She's like, no. I was like, don't put it down. We're <laughs> <laughs> not even excited about it. I can tell by the way you're writing. Oh, that you're okay. not going to speak for that. It's not exciting, mm-hmm. right? And the R is for relevant. It has to be a relevant goal. And when we're looking at relevancy, that means that I have to consider where I'm at in my life, right? I'm not going to sit to set these these crazy risky career goals if I'm pregnant mm. relevant to where I'm at right now with life. Yeah. Right. And so um, it's relevancy is like just looking at everything, kind of looking at where I'm at in life, you know, what are major transitioning transitions that could be happening this year and making sure that my goals are, are relevant. Mm, I like that. I'm going to have to look at, look up that planner and I haven't bought one yet for this year. Yeah. Yeah. You listen, please get a, get a full focus. And um, I can even give you a 30 to 45 minute demo and kind of walk you through how to, how to use it because it really, it's a system. It, 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 I've been using it. This is my third year. Mm. Um, and, and like I said, it's really kind of helped me dispel that myth of balance and say, I just got to find my rhythm and stick to it. Um, and so it forces me to turn my mind off at five o'clock. Like, when I'm home, I'm home. I'm not, I'm hardly okay. ever working unless, you know, there's a work meeting, a board meeting, something like that that falls on an evening. But I'm no longer having to be that person that pulls out my laptop when my kids go to bed and try to finish right. my to-do list. It's it's already been done. Oh, I love that. Yes, definitely going to check that out. So as we are now in the new year and people are, you know, talking about their goals and finding hope and finding more meaning in life, what will be three tips that you can give someone to work through that process? Like how does someone identify, you know, what their goals are, what their passion is, you know, start doing the inner work and how to keep that going beyond, you know, the first few weeks of the year. Absolutely. Uh, So the first thing that I would do um, is identify those core values, write them down, put them somewhere where they are visible, um, put a definition to that value. Right. So that value, if it's if it's faith or if it's generational wealth or if it's leisure, you know, leisure, pleasure was actually one of our family goals because we're Mm. so we're so driven. We said we have to make sure every year we make we make goals and we make leisure a priority. How do we do that? Mm-hmm. Friday night, date nights, taking at least two family vacations a year and a sabbatical. Like there are ways that we've anchored our goals in that value of leisure. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing that you have to do is you have to identify those values. There's no point of setting goals if you don't know what you value the most. Right. What are your priorities? And then I would sit down and I would establish eight to 10 annual goals. No more than that. And one of the things that I would avoid is making all of those goals career goals, mm. right? So they they have they have to touch different domains of your life, 
family goals, financial goals, mm-hmm. career goals, health goals, um, uh, personal goals. Yeah. Um, you know, if you have a, a career and then you have a, a side hustle, you know, those avocational goals, um, all of those are, are, are within those eight to 10. And then your yeah. next step is going to be to take all eight to 10 of those and break them down each quarter. You're actually only going to focus on two to three goals per quarter. Okay. It's going to help you stay focused. Um, and it's going to help for you to at the end of the year, because one thing we do is by November, you're looking back at your goals and you're like, oh, my God, I forgot I just set that up. <laughs> right. It happens. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like, how do I make sure that my goals are never going to disappear again? Mm. And so you have to revisit them every quarter. These are my quarterly goals. So is there anything else that you would like to, you know, talk about, mention that we have not had a chance to, you know, discuss before we get ready to wrap up? Um, no, I think we covered it. We talked about the hub, which is my, that is my, my passion. Um, you know, I do have another business, uh, impact hope where I train professionals in, I train people in the science of, of hope. You know, hope is not just a feeling. It is a cognition. You could actually teach people to be hopeful and you can help them restore and protect and build their hope. Um, and so that's another thing that I love doing uh, is, is building hope in people. And a part of that is with goal strategy coaching and productivity coaching. And so some of the stuff that I just gave are just tips for, for setting goals and, and increasing your, your productivity. Um, so, yeah, no, I think we've, we've touched on, on quite a bit. Okay. And where can our you know, audience find out more about you and connect with you? Yeah. So um, you can learn more about the hub at um, the hub 585.org. You can also visit my personal page at ashleyrcross.com. And you can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram at um, Dr. Ashley R. Cross. Beautiful. I love it. And last question, what is one fearless tip for 2022? Yeah. The fearless tip that I have for 2022 is to do the inner work. Um, We talked a little bit about it. Uh, I know I talk a lot about goals and achievement, um, but it's never about achieving something. It's about who you become during the journey of achievement. Mm. And so as we're talking about setting goals and achieving goals, my tip for you is every goal that you set, you ask yourself at the end of this goal, once I've achieved this goal, who do I want to be? Right. It's always more important who you become. Um, it's much more important um, to focus on who you're becoming outside of what you're obtaining. Um, and so just do the inner work, get to know you, get to know your pain points, get to know your shadows um, and, and, and give them to God and, and, and decide that you want to live a life empty, um, vulnerable and loving people deeply. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Make sure that you read the show notes and connect with Dr. Ashley Cross. And as always, remember, you are fearless, you are a priority, and you matter. Until next time. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you found this episode inspiring and motivating. Don't forget to leave a comment so you can win a fabulous prize at the end of the month. You can leave a review on iTunes or you can head over to YouTube or my Fearless Living Coach page on Facebook if you are an Android user. And as always, remember, you are fearless, you are fabulous, you are a priority and you matter. See you next time.
Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Kelly. The host of Getting Real with Bossy, the real, raw, and honest podcast about small business ownership. We created Bossy to be a safe place to ask the hard questions and to get support that's necessary. With our experience, nine businesses in over 25 years, we continue to bear it all and share what we wish we had known. We move past the must-be-nices and start getting real. Come along as we interview small business owners and get the true story. Leave with another tool for the next time you feel alone on this journey. Business ownership leads to unexpected knowledge. What are you an expert at? Tell us at Getting Real with Bossy and subscribe today.